Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston will share a message titled Ancient Words. The scripture passage for today is 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16, which will help us answer the question, how can an ancient text have a relevant voice? The most decorated Olympian in history, Michael Phelps, 28 medals, woke up year after year after year. It's, it's kind of legendary how disciplined he was and how regular he woke up at chicken 30 in the morning in order to train. What story was he telling himself? What story was he telling himself that motivated him to get out of bed, to go length after length after length again and again and again? Someone said to him, oh, it must be great to travel all around the world and to see all that you're seeing. And he said, well, all I see is the hotel and the pool. What story was he telling himself? The two boys in 1999 at Columbine High School that shot and killed over a dozen people. What story were they telling themselves in the months and years that led up to that horrific event? What story were they living? What were they telling themselves? What story was running in their mind that, that framed life up for them? What story were they telling themselves? What story are you telling yourself? What story plays in your mind, in the background of your life, when you succeed, when you fail? What story... Are you telling yourself when the person doesn't return your phone call or when you walk into the party? What story are you telling yourself when you're riding alone for several hours in the car? What story are you telling yourself? What story are you living? What story is running in the background when you open up your grades? Had to bring that up, huh? What's your story? What, what story are you telling yourself? What story is motivating you daily? What story is shaping and directing your life? A sermon, a sermon can help you live that story, God's best story, when you let the text when I let the text, when Skylar or whoever is preaching lets the text come out and have its own voice, I would despair if I had to get up here and give you wise counsel every week. I got nothing for you except this word. So when we let this word speak, when we let it speak to our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength, we can live the best story 
the motivating story, a story that takes us beyond our hopes and dreams, more than we can ask or imagine. That's the point and purpose of our gathering. It's a conversation that we're having every week. It's to be in this word to let it speak, to let it have its own voice. From the word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. Hear God's word this morning. Paul speaking to his protege. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God, men and women of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless this word this morning that we may, through it, be strengthened through the great story to love you with all our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So what did you have for dinner last night? Do you remember? Come on, what was it? What'd you have for dinner last night? Come on, come on, what'd you have? What about last night? What about a week ago on Wednesday? What about uh, on October 10th last year? What did you have for dinner? Wasn't it important? Huh? At the time, it was pretty important, wasn't it? We can't always remember every sermon. We can't always remember what, uh, what was said and what the main point was. But the sermon is designed to be... Now, there's some meals that you remember, right? There's some meals that stand out more than others. But by and large, what a sermon is supposed to do and to be is nourishment. It's to draw out the main point of another voice, the voice of God speaking through his word, these ancient words, this ancient text. And so I thought it would be good at the beginning of a new year for us to to take a self-conscious look at the conversation that we're having every week here and to look at how does the text have its own voice so that we can live the great story. How, how does it? How do you listen to this? How do you hear this word? 
Well, the answer is in this text, but also in what I'm going to borrow from Matthew 22, uh, the famous passage called the Great Command, love the Lord your God with all your what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So let's, let's talk about how the story can emerge in your life can be the the great story running in the background of your life when you walk into the party, when you open your grades, when you're riding down the road by yourself, when you're keeping your own counsel. As somebody said, you know, our problem is that we can't sit alone by ourselves in a room for an hour, right? What story, what buzz is running in the background? What distraction, what static needs to be cleared up by the great story when we let it speak to our heart, souls, mind, and strength. First, we need to let the text, we need to let the story emerge within our heart's desires. That when we let the text, when we let the story speak to our heart, it speaks of better desires, not just the ones that we wake up with every day. Right? Better desires. You know, sometimes what I'll do in a sermon is I'll surface a need. I did that this morning, right? So I'm trying to point out to you what I'm, what I'm trying to do every week, too, in, in the course of this. And so I asked you what you had for dinner, right? Or I talked to you about Michael Phelps. And I said, there's, there's a motivating story in your life. And so you're going, yeah, yeah, what did I? Okay, so I, why, why should I care? So what, right? I've listened to many, many sermons in my life too and I've listened to many speakers and I've read many, many books and I've watched things and, I've, and, and content comes to us. Sometimes it just starts blowing at us and we don't always know why we should care about it, right? And so sometimes what, I, what I'll try to do is I'll try to surface some need in you and that says, yeah, yeah, I do care about that. All right, I'll see what the text has to say about this concern that I have. But, see... You can't just stay there. You see, part of the role of this word is to give it its own voice to talk to you about desires that you need to have, that you don't have, you're not even fully in touch with yet. You see, verse 13 says this. It says that there are people who go from bad to worse. Why? Because they're deceiving and being deceived. The first person they're deceiving is themselves. We often allow ourselves to be deceived by our own desires. And therefore, we live lesser lives, a lesser story. I'll give you an example. All right? And so this is part of what I try to do. I try to say, this is what the text is saying. Now, let me just put a picture on it, or let me explain it in this way, right? And so I remember uh, when Beth and I were first married, and I remember thinking I wanted to go do something, and I remember thinking, I should probably call her and let her know I'm going to do this. Why is nobody laughing at that? I mean, it's like, uh, that was sort of duh, right? Well, that's kind of the stage of life I was in. I was in that duh stage of life. Like, oh, well, I guess maybe I should let Beth know that I'm going to go do this thing. Maybe I should, right? And I started to feel weird about it. Like, what am I doing? Is she my mommy? Huh? Am I supposed to ask permission? And I had that kind of natural reaction to it. Like, my desire was to be an independent person, like I had been. Like, I'm just going to go do it because I want to go do it because I'm a man, right? Is that what men do? You know, men are those who don't 
have any connection with anyone, who can't have the confidence to check in with somebody, have the courtesy to let someone else that they care about know what they're doing. Is that what a man does? That's what a teenager does. That's what an adolescent does, right? How do I know this? Because I was a teenager (laughs) once, right? And so what happens then is that a different desire begins to form, a desire for connection, a desire for a a marriage connection, a relationship that has courtesy, that has communication, that has an identity that's not threatened, that doesn't threaten my sense of self or independence. In fact, it expands my world. It brings me something more than I had by laying down one desire and replacing it with a better desire, by stopping the self-deceit of my natural desires. I take on what feels like a constraint, but what, through wisdom, begins to bring a newer, better bigger life. You see? That's what we're doing here. We're letting the word guide us like a river. So a river without banks has no force and no direction, right? It just splays out. And so the word, in a way, begins to bring the banks to your life to bring direction and force. See, when we let the story direct our desires, and, and, and when we show up with the expectation that sometimes our desires are going to be challenged, right? It says correction and reproof here at the end in verse 16. Wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. It's breathed out, all scriptures breathed out, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. When we come and have some expectation that I'm not just going to sit up, stand up here and affirm all your biases. That feels good, doesn't it? Like if I just sort of tell you what you want to hear and tell you what you already believe and affirm the fact that you're mad about something you read on the news and you want me to get up here and bang on it too, right? So you can say, yeah, that's right. Those people are bad and I'm good. You know, so that's not what scripture is calling us to to do and to be. It's It's bringing direction to our life sometimes through course corrections. It doesn't always feel good. And so I surface the need sometimes that does feel like something I really want, sometimes in order to take it, use it, leverage it, direct it to a deeper, better, more important desire. So let the story speak to your heart about better desires. Soul, now your soul. Let the story speak to your soul about better actions because you and I don't believe something until we act on it, until we act it outward. We don't really believe it, right? We, We may agree with it, or think that we believe it, or think we assent to it, mental assent, says, yeah, yeah, I'm nodding at that. But see, when I'm, when I'm preaching, I'm not preaching to get people nodding. I'm preaching to get people moving with their feet and their hands, right? Their will, right? Henry Ward Beecher said this, a, a, a sermon is not a firecracker to be lit off for the noise it makes, but it's a hunter's gun. And at every moment, the hunter looks to see his game fall, right? You think, oh, that's intense, Tim. Yeah, well, that's the word is, is a double-edged sword. 
The word needs to pierce your will, needs to get into it and and take it over and direct it so that you can live it out. You see, where do I see this in the text now? That's what you have to ask yourself. The Bereans were always... Can you imagine being somebody who questioned Paul? The Bereans were famous because they were always testing Paul to see whether or not what he was saying was in the scriptures, right? That's, that's pretty, you know, bold, isn't it? Yeah. But you need to be doing that too. You need to be asking yourself when I'm saying something, is it scriptural? Is it in the scriptures? This is our authority. And so where I see this in the text coming out is in the fact that, that Paul is, is setting Timothy's expectations that there will be persecution. You see, we're in a day and age when, when, when our culture, not to bang on our culture, I, I, I love our culture, and, and you need to love our culture too, and we need to be closer to our culture, we need to be influential of our culture, but we also have to recognize that not everything about our culture is good, right? And one of the things about our culture these days is that, that we're increasingly pushing faith inward, that it needs to be private only, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you just, you just keep it to yourself, okay? Right? Just tuck it in, people. That's what our culture is telling us. And Paul has different expectations. If he's expecting persecution, then obviously the implication is that we're living our faith outward, that our soul, our whole of us, that's what the soul is about. The word psyche, it's a soul is the whole of you, is taken over by belief. And so your will is acting outwardly what you say you believe. You don't really believe it unless you're acting on it. Let me give you an example. You know, uh, it, it, First and foremost, this needs to happen with, with each other, with, with our fellowship here and with your families and with the, the people in your sphere of influence. You, I've mentioned before that I've, I've, I have five friends from college that you know, we're going through life together. We're doing this on purpose, very intentionally. We were getting together a couple times a year. We get together once a year now. Uh, we stay in touch. We have a group text. We do all kinds of things to kind of keep in, in touch. We're getting together in about a month, and I've been thinking about what that's going to be like. We haven't all been together in quite some time. Our, our, our wives are going to be with us. They're also friends. And so we, since I was 20 years old, I've known these guys. Um, that's a long time. That's, that's younger than my... I've known them since, you know, younger... I was younger than my older kids. That's a lot of exposure to conflict, misunderstanding. That's a lot of exposure to life, to offenses, right? It's a lot of exposure to relationship that doesn't always go the way you want it to go, but to persevere in it, to persevere in it, is part of what it means to embody your faith, to embody your belief, to let your will be directed by God, be, to, to go and repair that thing, to say, you know, if I'm going to forgive, if I'm going to be forgiven, if I'm going to learn to be a forgiver, then I certainly need to be able to do that with the people that are closest to me. And if I can't do that there, who, with whom can I do it? And so to live out a persevering relationship, to, and that's part of why we gather. I mean, 
If we're to embody our belief, to put it all the way into, you know, Romans 12 says, you know, offer your bodies. That means there's no part of you that's not offered to God. Then we need to embody together what it is we're saying we're believing and to live it out with one another. You know, I know there's great content out there. You can hear a much better sermon today on a podcast, right? You could have gone you know, out and put your your AirPods in and gone somewhere else and listen to, you know, one of the greatest, right? Whoever is the greatest to you. But you're here. And part of being here is to be in a conversation as a community. It's to recognize that we're all listening to the same thing, the same text together, and we're called to live it out together in this community, to create in this body, a body, that can live this faith outward. You see, that's how the story begins to take hold on your life when you live it out in community, in your body, life on life. You gotta let the story speak to your heart and to your soul and to your mind about better ideas. Now, you and I, we're somewhere between zero and 100% on the ideas that are good, right? And some ideas that you have are really good, and some ideas that you have are not so good. And you're not always aware, and I'm not always aware of what those are. But this word can help clarify. It, it's not just a word we look at. It's a word, we, it's a word that we look through. It's a worldview that, that, that the story begins to help us have it's a lens or a grid through which we see ourselves and God and the world around us. And that means in verse 15, being wise for salvation means that we are wise to the things that endure. That we are creatures created by God for God. And that you're becoming something. That, that ideas have consequences. And so when you're following the best ideas, then, then you're becoming more of what is worth holding on to for eternity. You're becoming a person who can live for eternity with other people without driving yourself and them crazy, right? You know, there's a, there's a, 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 a writer who uh, was one of C.S. Lewis's, um, he called him his master. His name is George MacDonald. And so C.S. Lewis likes this guy. I like this guy, right? George MacDonald wrote a book uh, called The Princess and Curdy. And Curdy was this guy who was trying to, uh, without giving you the whole story, he, he's this guy who's really trying to, to save the princess. And, um, but Curdy uh, was, was almost like a hobbit-like figure, Curdy had a, an amazing ability. He could put his hand on somebody's arm and see what they were becoming for eternity. Imagine that. Isn't that wild? It's an incredible thought. Just the ability to know. Look, it, what you see on the outside isn't always what's going on in the inside. You know, sometimes like like people say, you know, like you, 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 some people are like a duck, right? They're sort of calm on the surface, but underneath it's a flurry of legs, right? You know, it's like a you know, all peaceful on the surface, but underneath the legs are going crazy. What, what are you really becoming and how are those ideas shaping you? 
You know, we take for granted certain things in our country because our country has been shaped around Judeo, about, around Judeo-Christian principles and, and values in a lot of ways. And so we take certain things for granted, like the idea that every person has worth. You know, for most of human history, this was not a principle that most people lived by. In fact, most cultures and some, many cultures still today will, will leave a baby uh, to be exposed to the elements if they don't want the baby. You know, for most of human history, this was a common practice and nobody questioned it. The idea that every person of every nation, creed, and color has equal dignity and worth before God is a Judeo-Christian revealed idea. And we were living by lesser ideas until it was revealed to us. And so we can't just reason our way through life. We have to have the best ideas revealed to us. Revealed. Uh, it's a little like this. I, I began to, to discover this and then to experience it, right? So the revelation that, that, there is a, that we're made in the image and nature of God and that every human being has worth and dignity. And I, I remember when I was in, in a junior in, in high school and I began to get involved in the Special Olympics. And I was, I was one of those you know, huggers or trainers. Or whatever. It, was just a, it was a great experience for me. And I, I, it's, it's funny to think about it and then I could poke fun at it a little bit, but it was really a meaningful experience to me to, to spend time with a little girl named Malika who went to Y.E. Smith Elementary School across town, a part of town I never went to. And I remember her walking with her walker and falling. Um, we were walking along this path, and I remember her falling to the ground over the sight of a dandelion. And just getting, wanting to get her face close to that little, you know, weed to her was just a beautiful, sunny little flower. And I rem I'll never forget that moment, just thinking, here is someone who's showing me what I just walked by. Here's someone who's showing me beauty. You know, God speaks through different people in different ways. And even people that we think are lesser because of their inability That, that, that emerging sense of God's image. The idea that each person has dignity and worth is not something that human beings came up with on their own through reason. You see, we had to be shown. It had to be revealed to us. What other ideas need to be replaced in your mind with better ones through the word in 2020, we need to let the story speak to our minds. Finally, we need to let the story speak to our strength. And it needs to speak to our strength so that we can form better habits. Or let me put it a different way. Through our better habits, we can develop strength. The story can speak to our habits to develop greater strength. Verse 17 says this, that, that you may be complete 
equipped for every good work. That's, that's called being trained, that you're training. Paul elsewhere talks about the, 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 the athlete and the soldier and the farmer. There's a certain discipline to faith. It doesn't mean that God loves you more because you're training more. It means that you have the capacity to receive what he's already given to you. You got that? You got to get that right. Now, this training part is not about making yourself more worthy. It's about making yourself more capable of living into the worth that God longs already to give you. You don't make yourself more lovable through training, but you make yourself more capable of being loved and loving. It's, it, I'll never forget this uh, definition of fitness that I got from, from one of my professors in college. He said, Fit, fitness is the ability to meet the daily rigors of life without incurring a debilitating injury. Now, last week I tried to throw a football, and I hadn't thrown a football in a long time. I used to love throwing the football. I threw a football all the time. And I tried to throw, I just, it was just a total doofus moment where I took the football, I tried to throw it as far and hard as I could without warming up, and I'm still paying for it all over my body. The ability to meet the daily rigors of life without incurring a debilitating injury, that applies to your, your spirit as well. It applies to the whole of you, the whole of your strength. What habits do you need in 2020 in order to develop the kind of strength that allows you to be loved and to love the people around you? Annie Dillard said this. She said, and she's the famous author of The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She said, how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we're doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It's a net for catching days. It is a scaffold on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, fate, and so brought into being. You see, you see the training in this, the rehearsal. It's a peace and a haven set into you, into the wreck of time. It's a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. What a writer. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. You see the habits? The habits that we have, we make them and then they make us. The habits you have, you make them and then they make you. We need to in 2020, recognize that there's a story that God wants to have emerge in your life, play in the background when you walk into the party, when you open your grades, when you go on that trip, when you're sitting alone in your room. A story that can inform and motivate and inspire you when it speaks, when the word has its own voice of authority in your life, speaking to your heart for better desires, to your soul for, for better action to your mind for better ideas, and to your strength for better habits. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a, a series that's not about resolutions. It's about developing better habits. You know, I, I get discouraged with re resolutions too. You set them and 80% of them are gone by the end of January. But what about forming new habits? A rhythm of life, having a rhythm that shapes 
and mold you for, for eternity. Uh, that's what this table is all about as well. And so this morning, I want to invite you here that as you receive this bread and this cup, uh, that you'll be receiving the bread of life. You know, Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it doesn't matter what you've said, what you've done, what you've been, what you've thought. If you proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, you belong here at this table. Let's pray together. God, would you now suspend the order of your natural law for the purpose of your salvific one, that by faith these common elements might bring to us a measure of your grace that we would receive as we take them in. Do this now for your glory and our good. Amen.